Good afternoon. Nice to see everyone here. Two weeks in a row. It's been a while since it's been two weeks in a row. Back in 2020, I think. Uh, but anyway, um, today we come to a, a, a well-known story in the events of David's ascent to the throne to be king. Uh, last week we had a little bit of a parenthesis from the anger theme, um, but we did see David as a type of Christ um, in the story, the promised king. He behaved like the king. He was in, with God's people in Judea. He was protecting God's people from the Philistines and he was seeking God's direction. I got this on. There we go. And not stepping out on his own without consulting with God. He also experienced some deflation, some rejection, frustration. And that may have helped Jonathan come along and encourage God's king, just like Jesus was encouraged after he went through a time of temptation. And lastly, when he was presented with that golden opportunity to take for himself what God had promised, David refused, leaving it rather to the Lord to raise him to the throne in God's own timetable. And likewise, we saw Jesus reject the easy route to have the world and all the realms uh, worship him by rejecting the easy path to worship Satan and Satan would just give it up to him without him having to suffer. Today we're in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. It's interesting, it's sandwiched between 24 and 26. That's profound. 25 is between those two chapters, right? But actually, those two chapters, if, you, if we look at those chapters, both of them have a similar, they recount a similar events where David has an opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't. One of them, Saul is chasing David, and so it, it, it certainly appears this was that golden moment. But in chapter 26, David actually steals into Saul's camp at night. And so David is taking more of the initiative. And then, but when he gets there, something restrains him again, and he doesn't kill Saul. And some uh, scholars debate whether this was really one event and there's two different angles or perspectives. And I don't, I'm not going to get into those, but. Um, I think it's important that David didn't take advantage of that golden opportunity. He is allowing God to do to him what God has promised. Today, in our text from 1 Samuel, we'll, say, we'll see that while David is a type of Christ in some respects, he's still very much a human being. He's still very much afflicted by those maladies, 
those weaknesses that all sinful men suffer from, and specifically this is that malady of anger. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel 25, and I hope that reading it and then the few comments I make will help us see that David is still on the run and he has to be patient and wait for God's timing. That when he gets frustrated, his anger, um, he doesn't control his anger like we would hope he would. And then we see a very discerning woman come to bear in David's life. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 25, and I'm, it's, a, it's a long story, but uh, I'm reading 1, verse 1 to 22. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness at Paran, and there was a man in Moab, Moan, whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved, as he was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him by, na by my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing at all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have to hand to your servants and to your son, David. And when David's men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where. So David's men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, 
and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. And they were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sayas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkeys and came under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. And now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word. Use what I say to um, touch hearts. And I pray your spirit would help us uh, be obedient to what we hear. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a fascinating story. And if you read on the rest of it, the interaction of David and Abigail, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but it's an amazing story um, of how people react to situations and how they factor God into the equation. So we're going to see how David is still on the run He's trusting God, but God doesn't answer right away. God is not operating on David's timetable. God's operating on his own timetable. That's uh, 1 to 8, and then verses 9 to 17, David's anger erupts. He's frustrated, and his anger erupts. And then 18 to 35 really is the story of Abigail and how she interacts with David. In verse 1, it's a, it's a little parenthesis. Samuel dies. Let me read that again. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. That's, that's all there is about Samuel and his death. And it's put in here, I think, because Samuel was a was a confidant of David. And many, remember Samuel had anointed David as to be the anointed king, and several times he had interacted with Samuel, and Samuel was a kind of a mentor, uh, an elder for David, and now Samuel's gone. And now how's David gonna respond? He has 600 men who need supplies. 
And so he approaches a wealthy man whose sheep and shepherds have been protected by David's men. The man's name was Nabal. I thought that was a strange name. Uh, and, the, and the name means fool or foolish, a foolish one. Um, he's stingy. He just thinks about himself. He's a Calebite. And I know that has some significance, but he's not like his ancestor, Caleb, in the Joshua and Caleb fame. Um, and Caleb fought and asked after they got into the promised land 40, after 40 years of wandering, you remember, he said, give me this territory. I'm going to go fight and clean out the, the aliens and the enemies and the, the, the pagans there. And Caleb was a man of God, but this Calebite, not so much. So David sends men in the spirit and real deference and humility, asking, not demanding, he's asking for help. And the men, his servants go, some of David's servants, and they remind Nabal of their honorable actions that they had protected his flocks and his shepherds. And I don't think Nabal has anything specific against David, but he's short-sighted. And he sees only his own situation, he's looking out for himself, not the good of the nation, not the greater good. He certainly would have heard of David. When he says, well, who is David? Certainly that's not really true. His wife knew about David. Remember Abigail, she knows a lot about David. What, and her husband doesn't? I I think he knew, but he feigns, well, who's David? And in doing so, Nabal lights this fuse that's gonna explode in David. And shortly we're gonna see the explosion. So David's on the run and he's waiting on God and God allows this situation. So in our life, God will allow situations sometimes. We have to hang in there. I don't know what else to say. I think we just have to hang in there and trust that God will do things at the right time. So David's, he gets this response and he blows a gasket, the fuse explodes. Samuel, he can't go to Samuel. Although he has Abathar, remember, still there with the ephod, David doesn't consult him. He's so offended, he vows to wipe out Nabal and all his men in verse 21 and 22. But remember, as bad as Nabal is, he and his clan are still Israelites. They're still God's people. And now the anointed king, who's supposed to protect God's people, vows to wipe out this family, this clan. Not so good. Doesn't make David look like a type of Christ there. Recall in Samuel 24, 17, where Saul says he has repaid David evil for good. Well, David's memories, like mine, is a little bit short. 
He forgot about that, and that the righteous respond for that righteous response, and he says, well, I'm going to repay evil for evil, an eye for an eye. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, how can I repay this evil and repay it with good? Not this time. Wow. What an overreaction. Aren't you thankful you never respond like that? That you consistently respond in loving and gracious ways no matter how people treat you? Well, maybe a little insight into David's men. Give them credit for loyalty and obedience. But that's not what they displayed when David said, come on, let's go attack the Philistines. Remember in 23.3, David's men said, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kila against the enemies of the Philistines? But when it was time to take revenge, they were right there. They were quick to pick up that offense that David had and make it their own. Are we quick to take up an offense for others? And slow to resist sin and the evil actions of unbelievers? Something that give us pause. So, will David carry out what he's vowed? Will the bad Nabal be punished? And again, we have the Hollywood script Remember the nick of time? Well, in the nick of time, Abigail appears on the scene. And despite the fact that Nabal's a scoundrel, he's a, he's, he's, um, well, his servant called him a scoundrel, he's got a couple things going for him. He has a very prudent servant, for one, and a very discerning, and not to mention decisive, wife. Oh, and she was beautiful, too. That's proof to me that marriages back then were arranged. Because I don't think Abigail would have picked Nabal. I think somebody arranged that marriage, and she got stuck in that marriage but that didn't affect her character qualities. Okay. The servant doesn't cut and run. He remains loyal to his, servant, to his master, and he, but he works through Abigail. So Nabal's got some things going for him. And I do wonder how Nabal's servant heard of this threat. How did he hear about that? Maybe because the David's men were still protecting his shepherds and stuff. And so, you know, word got out, hey, we're out to get your, your owner, your um, Lord. But Abigail, wow, what a woman. And she's not just packing a picnic basket here. 200 loaves of bread, five sheep, at least a bushel of grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and off she goes. She recognizes that 
This is a call to action, and she wastes no time. So she heads towards David, and as David's heading up toward Nabal's camp or his, where his operation is, and when David sees Abigail, he reiterates his oath and the justification for wiping out Nabal. In verse 23, let me read verse 23. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. It's a real show of humility, of deference, interpersonal skills, not to mention the, the politically astute behavior. It also shows Abigail's understanding of God's promises to his people and his promises to David. She knows much about David. In verse 26, she said, Now then, my Lord, as small Lord, as the Lord, uppercase Lord, lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. So it's a, that phrase, saving, wrought salvation with his own hand. David is trying to save himself, trying to provide what God, he knows God has said he deserves. He's trying to do this on his own, with his own hand. And she says, don't do it. Verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Wow. Her, her composure, her words, are so biblical and righteous in the face of this anger. It's, I'm, it's amazing how she was able to do that. She's willing to risk her life for her undeserving husband, for the innocent servants of her household. What does that make you think of? Makes me think of Esther, Queen Esther, right? If I perish, I perish when she had to go to the king. And Abigail speaks almost as a prophetess because God does make the house of David through Jesus a sure house, a secure house. And then in verse 30 and 31, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. There's that phrase again. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, remember your servant. It's no doubt that Abigail knew 
of the prophecies about David. I mean, the people saying Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands, and the word was out that David was the anointed king, and Saul knew, he had, Samuel had told Saul, God has taken the kingdom from you, and that word had kind of gotten out, but still, it hadn't played out. God didn't strike Saul dead like he didn't strike Adam and Eve dead when they sinned, but he knew the outcome already. She understands the value of a clear conscience. She wants her king to have a clear conscience when he becomes king. And in that sense, she understands what God expects of all people, all of us. And all I can say is, wow, she understands God's sovereignty, understands God's expectations of obedience, deference to the Lord's timing. And then when God, the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Who does that remind you of? It's in the Bible, by the way. I was thinking of the thief on the cross. Okay. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's what Abigail is saying. When you ascend to the throne, when God has done everything he promised to do for you, remember me. Remember your servant. That's exactly what the thief said. And the request is for the king to choose that honorable course himself. Like the thief, Abigail, Abigail is not claiming that she deserves for David to meet that request. She's not saying, because I'm a beautiful, discerning woman that's trying to protect you. She just said, when God has done everything for you, remember me. And in that sense, I think she is like the thief on the cross, the sinner who says, it's, I, I, it's not because of me. Please just remember me because you're gracious. And in that sense, David would be gracious and be a type of Christ again. So David's still on the run. What's, what's the takeaway for us? When we entrust our way to the Lord, we should be prepared for a longer journey than we might because God works on his timeline, not on ours. How long does David have to run? How long do I have to deal with this situation? How long do, before God provides relief, rescues me? Are we patient? And then it too, David, it gets angry. His, his anger bursts. Could David have anticipated possible responses that Nabal might give and kind of prepare or steel himself for a negative response? Do we make assumptions about how others may react to our overtures and then respond negatively ourselves when our expectations are not met? I was so nice to that person, but so help me, I'm they deserve what I'm going to give them. Is that our response? This is a lesson from David that's a, 
There's positive lessons and there's negative lessons, right? These, this is the kind of thing you should do. And then the negative lessons are, these are the things you shouldn't do. Learn from what, what that person did. Don't do it, okay? And this is a negative lesson for us. And then the discerning woman. I know there's a lot of complaints and criticisms that the Bible is, especially the Old Testament, is patriarchal and oh, some people complain it's denigrating to women and stuff. But in Samuel, First and Second Samuel, we see a number of women who play significant roles in God's story of redemption. Um, Hannah is the first one, chapter one of First Samuel. And that's where Samuel comes from, and Samuel plays a key role. And then we see Abigail, here's another woman, who plays a significant role in keeping David, we can say, on the straight and narrow. Bathsheba is a significant woman in the story of redemption. She's in, the, in Samuel, in First and Second Samuel, more in Second Samuel, I think. And they're lessons that we should all appeal to those in authority, not to work salvation with our own hand. Remember twice she said that. Don't work salvation with your own hand. And that should be something that we can take away. Do we try to work salvation, our own salvation? I'm going to solve this problem. Cutting a corner, but I'm going to solve this on my own. No, we should allow God to work salvation for us, okay? Patience with God's timing. Don't let anger rule us. And don't work our own salvation with our own hand. Let's pray.